were simply gathering to worship uh, a person in Iran, and specifically a Christian in Iran, can be considered a threat against the state. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now, here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today, we'll be discussing religious prisoners of conscience in Iran and USERF's Freedom of Religion or Belief Victims List. Amid countrywide protests in Iran over the past several weeks over food subsidies, as well as ongoing multilateral talks in Vienna, Iran is once again in the foreign policy spotlight. Long identified by USERF as a country of particular concern for systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom, Iran's gone to great lengths to arrest and detain religious minority communities including Christians, Baha'is, Sunni Muslims, Sufis, and spiritualists, as well as those who peacefully dissent from the government's preferred religious views, particularly women, non-theists, and members of the LGBTI community. Here to tell us more today are USERF Supervisory Policy Analyst Scott Wiener and Victims List and Outreach Specialist Dylan Schecksneider. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Dwight. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you, Dwight. All right, guys, Scott, let's start with you. What can you tell our audience about uh, current conditions uh, right now for religious prisoners of conscience in Iran? So unfortunately, Iran has continued its mistreatment of prisoners on the basis of religious identity. So not only is it arresting people who are part of these communities, but it's mistreating them specifically for being members of these communities as well. In particular, we've seen an escalation in the arrests of Baha'is and Christians, but prisoners of many different faiths um, or of no faith at all are facing targeted mistreatment in prison. So um, being held incommunicado without having contact with the family is not at all uncommon for many of these cases. And in recent years, we've received reports of severe medical malpractice um, or outright denial of care by authorities in prisons in Iran. We also know that some religious minorities, and in particular the Ganbadi Sufi community, have been moved to areas of prisons with known COVID-19 outbreaks. So people are being deliberately exposed or at best um, being negligently exposed to COVID-19 because of their religious identity. And we're also really concerned by reports that religious officials are going into prisons to try to convert religious minorities or otherwise criticize their views. And this is happening on top of or during interrogations where there are also widespread reports of mistreatment or torture. So this is a really coercive tactic that the government of Iran is using to go after religious minorities in prison. Yeah, unfortunately, that sounds more of uh, directly from their playbook, but uh, with COVID, things have gotten even more complicated. Dylan, if you could uh, give us a little background on the FORB victims list, which is what we call FORB, the Freedom of Religion or Belief, and the acronym there is FORB victims list, which 
is something that was legislatively uh, mandated. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, what USURF does with that and how Iran uh, fits in uh, with this list? Right. So USURF's four victims list is a database that documents religious prisoners of conscience and other victims who have been detained, imprisoned, forcibly disappeared, placed under house arrest, forced to renounce their faith, or tortured because of their religious beliefs, religious activity, or religious freedom advocacy. Because USURF recommends the U.S. State Department to designate Iran as a country of particular concern, or CPC, USURF is required to include prisoners from Iran in the victims list. USURF currently has more than 1,400 profiles in the victims list, with Iran representing the third largest numbers of prisoners at nearly 150. Like you and Scott have mentioned, these prisoners include Baha'is, Christians, Gonbadi Sufis, as well as individuals imprisoned for blasphemy or other religiously sanctioned crimes, as well as individuals protesting the state's um, imposition of its religious interpretations onto its citizens. Indeed. So, yeah, that that uh, I would you know commend uh, uh, our audience to those who are interested to look at that list now that uh, Dylan has really helped to enhance and uh, populate with the you know almost fifteen hundred victims uh, in in a short amount of time. And there's quite a chunk here from Iran, unfortunately, which has uh, you know been a you know consistent theme of uh, why Iran's a country of particular concern because they have so many. Uh, religious prisoners of conscience uh, and dissidents uh, on the basis of uh, religion or belief or lack thereof. Scott, I want to ask you about a November 2021 Iranian Supreme Court opinion, which noted that membership in a house church uh, does not legally constitute acting against national security, which has been a way the Iranian government has used to crack down on uh, house churches in the country as if this is a national security crime. Has this opinion impacted any of the religious freedom cases that you're aware of, given that the courts have used this logic for so long now to prosecute Christians? So the short answer is it's a mixed but mostly negative bag. And this is something, as you said, Dwight, that the government of Iran has done in the past. The court system has used membership in a house church as evidence of acting against national security, which is a very serious charge in Iran, as it is in many countries. So for simply gathering to worship uh, a person in Iran, and specifically a Christian in Iran, can be considered a threat against the state. Um, and I think it's important to understand the magnitude of that sort of leap um, and the extent to which Iran perceives religious minorities to be genuinely a threat. Um, so we've seen certain positive developments as a result of this, in particular, um, a case in February through branch 34 of the Tehran Court of Appeal. Um, there were nine Christians who were acquitted of charges of acting against national security for membership in a house church. So there's some indication that lower courts in Iran uh, may be taking this decision or this opinion seriously. Um, at the same time, one of those who was acquitted is already back in prison and at least two have received additional charges. So it's a little bit of a whack-a-mole situation in terms of the specific religious grounds uh, or the legal grounds that the government is using. Um, we also know that back in April, an Iranian-Armenian Christian named Anushavan Avedian and two members of his house church were arrested. Um, and Avedian faces a 10-year prison sentence on charges of establishing and leading an illegal group with the aim of disrupting the security of the country. Um, so this is language from 
a new amendment to Iran's Islamic Penal Code, Article 500, which Iran has already used to convict scores of Christians. And Yusuf has been vocal in pointing out that these amendments to Articles 499 and 500 seem to be tailor-made for the persecution of religious minorities, in particular Baha'is, but also Christians and other religious minority groups as well. So the cases are are, um, still going on, these national security cases around house church membership. House church membership. Um, we also know that later in April, Branch 26th of the Tehran Revolutionary Court sentenced uh, Shuresh Muhammadi Falah, a Christian convert, to a year in prison and a 5 million Toman fine for acting against national security through membership in the evangelical Christian church. So we know that despite the opinion that courts in Iran are still considering membership in a house church, this sort of informal gathering of Christians as a threat to national security and is prosecuting people on the basis of uh, this assembly for religious purposes, which is very much protected under uh, Article 18 of the uh, ICCPR and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Dylan, um, you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, there are about 150 cases uh, of Iranian uh, religious prisoners of conscience on the victims list. Uh, I also just wanted to let our audience know that that doesn't mean that's how many religious prisoners there are in Iran, because uh, that number could be much wider. Again, our victims list is not necessarily comprehensive in the number of prisoners in each particular country that we cover, but those that we receive enough and verifiable information on to to put on this list. But I wonder if, uh, Dylan, you could talk uh, a bit about some of those, uh, you know, a sampling of some of those prisoners and some of the more recent additions uh, to give a flavor of uh, what what the trend lines are with the way Iran is uh, cracking down and, and putting individuals in prison on the basis of their religion or belief. Sure. So one group of prisoners that we recently added um, was actually a mother-daughter duo who were arrested for their opposition to the state's endorsed version of Islam through the policy of compulsory religious veiling for women. In April 2019, authorities arrested Yasaman Ariani and her mother, Munira Abushahi, for, for handing out flowers on the metro without wearing a headscarf. There's actually a video of them on Instagram, just in the metro cart, no hijab. It's a group of several women, maybe four or five, just passing them out to all the other women um, sitting in the cart with them. In July 2019, a Tehran court sentenced both of them to a collective 16 years in prison for spreading propaganda, assembling to act against national security, and encouraging immorality or prostitution. While an appeals court reduced their sentences the following year, they are still expected to serve five years and six months each in prison as their sentences run concurrently. Similarly, activist Sabakord Afshari was arrested in June 2019 for protesting compulsory religious veiling after a video of her surfaced walking on the street without a headscarf. A month later, authorities arrested her mother, Rahale Ahmadi, after she criticized the government's arrest and treatment of her daughter. As in the two previous cases, both women were charged with spreading propaganda, assembling to act against national security, and encouraging immorality or prostitution. While Ahmadi was acquitted of the immorality charge and initially sentenced to four years and two months in prison, Afshari was sentenced to a collective 24 years in prison, including 15 years on the immorality charge. Overall, following additional court proceedings and Iran's rules for serving sentences concurrently, Ahmadi is expected to serve two years and seven months in prison, and Afshari is expected to serve five years in prison. While we are on the topic of women's rights activists, 
I, I should also note that last month, religious prisoner of conscience, Goraki Rei, was finally released from prison since being arrested in November 2019. She has been a part of USERF's Religious Prisoners of Conscience Project, which has done extra focused efforts in the advancement and advocacy for the release of religious prisoners of conscience. In 2015, a Tehran court sentenced Irei for insulting Islamic sanctities over a short story she wrote criticizing the religiously grounded practice of stoning adulterous women to death. When she completed that sentence in April 2019, however, she was rearrested and later sentenced in two additional cases for crimes she allegedly committed while in prison. Although Yusuf was relieved to see her released, Iranian authorities should remove her two-year travel ban, as well as the ban preventing her from joining political groups. Well, it sounds like the crackdown here on women, obviously, has been a, a I think, concentrated theme, unfortunately, of the government. They've even tried to reach outside the country in a, in a well-known case just last year. Uh, so th- this is obviously something that is trying to break free with this long-known interpretation by the government of how women should be conducting themselves. And, and when people uh, respond to that, when there's any kind of uh, alternative view, you see how you see how people, uh, particularly women, get cracked down on. You know, Scott, uh, given these egregious and deteriorating conditions through a number of the examples provided, can you point to some of the things that the United States government can do uh, if at all, to improve the situation for religious prisoners of conscience in Iran, knowing that obviously we have limited ties with Iran. We also have the uh, ongoing negotiations over the nuclear issue and uh, that we mentioned up top uh, in Vienna and uh, that the U.S. is uh, engaged in again. Uh, are there some things uh, that the U.S. can do to, to highlight uh, this situation? So I think there are four things that the U.S. government can do to improve the situation for religious prisoners of conscience in Iran. Um, the first is to continue to speak out and report on cases. Um, we know from our interlocutors that Iran's government is aware when groups like USERF um, and other U.S. government entities are raising cases. It makes a difference in their treatment, and it matters that countries and governments are bearing witness to this quite frankly, egregious mistreatment of prisoners in Iran. Um, So we've done that through our Religious Prisoners of Conscience program, as Dylan was just talking about um, with feminist writer Goroki Rai, as well as evangelical pastor Yusuf Nadarhani, um, who we believe may have recently had COVID and um, was on a brief uh, medical furlough. So um, we encourage members of Congress to continue to raise these cases and continue to speak out publicly, calling for um, the harsh sentences to be lifted and the mistreatment to cease. Um, Dwight, as you said, the United States doesn't have diplomatic relations with Iran, um, but we did help to uh, gather together the International Religious Freedom and Belief Alliance. Um, So that's an alliance of several different countries and several different friendly governments, some of whom do have relations with Iran. So um, working together with members of that alliance can be an effective way that the United States can advocate in a unified voice for people detained unjustly in Iran on the basis of their religion or Believe. So presenting this unified front can be a really effective way to advocate for these prisoners. Um, thirdly, we recommend the U.S. raise some of these religious freedom violations directly with Iran in some of the ongoing talks. Um, we know that there's broad bipartisan concern here in Washington over religious freedom violations in Iran. So for the administration to be able to proactively address those concerns will be critical for any administration policy um, on other non-religious freedom related issues in the U.S. Iran relationship. 
Uh, finally, there is a program called uh, the Lautenberg Program, which creates a special path for resettlement for Iranian religious minorities. Um, they'll often come to uh, Vienna, they'll be vetted by U.S. security agencies, and then resettled in the United States. This is a program that for decades has had broad bipartisan support, um, but there are still roughly 80 Iranians who are in Vienna awaiting resettlement to the United States. So this is a fairly small group of people, and uh, for the administration to be moving forward on these resettlements would really signal a very strong commitment to the protection of religious minorities and give people who are at risk of being thrown in prison and mistreated in prison in Iran a potential escape route by which uh, they could avoid that prosecution and persecution. Well, we're going to have to leave it right here, but I want to thank Scott Wiener and Dylan Schechtsneider for being with us today to share the latest on uh, Iranian religious prisoners of conscience and, the, and those in our uh, victims list, the four victims list. To learn more about Iran. Uh, you can view our latest chapter from our annual report uh, released recently and also check out our uh, policy recommendations, some of which uh, Scott touched on, but also to uh, take a deeper look at our four victims list also on our website to get a range of not only uh, the, the kinds of prisoners and the range of different backgrounds in Iran, but also other countries you can find on there. As always, thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you next time on Serve Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at U-S-C-I-R-F. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.